Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished professional from Baltimore, Maryland, USA, Kara Redman. Kara, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Kara uh, is the Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Backroom, which is a brand strategy and activation agency. So Kara, before we talk about uh, branding and Backroom, tell me a little bit about your own journey. Sure. Um, I actually started out as a teen mom and had to find jobs, never went to college. Well, I went, but not, I never finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my journey was really one about more survival, right? I didn't have a huge support blanket. So I didn't really have the opportunity to do the whole choose your path. Um, but what I did do in terms of like the decisions I made for the next job, um, I knew really early on, I didn't want to continue working in restaurants and retail. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very painful for me to just show up and, and, have to be in a certain place at a certain time for mm-hmm. very little return. So I tended to look at things that just felt glamorous to me or things that felt interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and after working in-house for a few places for jobs that were just jobs that I could get and I mm-hmm. needed a job, right? I think that's something we don't talk about a lot is sometimes mm-hmm. you just need the job. It's Absolutely. not your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that it was, I just thought agencies were really glamorous and cool and mm-hmm. they had this like to them, little did I know. Um, and so I, I applied to some, never got the job, kept trying. I even sent a gift basket to one of the CEOs of who was who now my competitor mm-hmm. you know, with my resume in it. Please give me a chance. Um, but I didn't have the college on my resume. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the experience. So I just kept trying and I worked for a few agencies and learned so much. I was very blessed to have um, leadership at a couple that really taught me a lot and um, saw the things that I wasn't getting and explained them to me and didn't make me feel stupid. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I didn't like the model. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I still had that same feeling that I had working retail in a restaurant of somebody's making me be here at a certain time for mm-hmm. very little return. And mm-hmm. so much of it was not in my control, whether it was what I was working on that day or, um, you know, how I worked or could I just, if it was rainy and cold and I was tired, my kid was sick, can I just stay in my jammies and have mm-hmm. a hot cup of coffee in bed and <laughs> okay. answer you know so um I just I got really tired and decided somewhat on a whim uh that I would try to do it on my own and it Mm. was an experiment Mm. I knew if if it didn't work I could get another job easy Mm. Uh, and nine years later nine years this month we're still here amazing and as I say the rest is history right exactly wonderful so tell me about backroom uh you know what are you doing here and what was your motivation to start um, the biggest motivation was what I just described of there has to be a better way to work. I knew my own potential. I could see the potential of the people around me and going, mm. this is not, we could create big, beautiful things if we weren't so angry and tired all the time. Right. Mm, um, so that, that was one big piece. Another was, um, the traditional agency model is set up around billable hours and they're really rigid in their scope often. Mm. Uh, and the clients that I was sitting across from weren't hitting goals. And so there's this model of let's get all the sales in as much as we can, mm. charge them top dollar for senior strategists, but really give them junior help. And we weren't moving the needle for them at all. And mm-hmm. so it just was this like rinse repeat of soul sucking work that you knew was never going to impact anything. Mm. And that was really young men. So I just felt like I had all this energy and, and you mm. know, uh, 
passion for what I was doing and it wasn't going into anything. Mm. And so you do that a few times, Ash, and then you're sitting there with the next project and you're going, this doesn't matter. Mm. Give it a hundred percent because no one cares. You get into that. No one else cares mentality. It's awful. I, mm. I some people can hide in that. I can't. Mm. Um, and so uh, focusing on brand was really important to us. Um, so everything we do now at Backroom is brand led. But really, our mission is how do we always look three steps behind for the people who are, you know, Cara working those jobs or retailer restaurants or the single parent, you know, making less than 20 grand a year. Mm how do we open the door for those people too? And so our ultimate goal is to get where we're helping to get people more jobs and better models that work for them, that have the flexibility, challenge leaders to do more because, hey, you're missing out on what I think I was a great potential and talent to have. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have opportunities to show that because Mm -hmm. I was a parent and didn't have any money or childcare. Um, And then eventually really starting to think about cohorts and how can we bring in people who are stuck in that I'm working three jobs with two kids by myself cycle, provide them childcare, just give them equitable spaces to come up with new ideas and help them nurture those. That's really our end goal. So yeah, there are a lot of steps to get there, but that's our dream. Amazing. What a great story. So, you know, you've been involved with brands for a long time. I'm sure you've been asked this question many times. Well, what goes into building a successful brand? So much. It starts with the people. Mm. 100% starts with the people. We, from day one, said no to clients that came in and they had a get-rich-quick idea. Mm. Um, if, if, if we talk to a founder or a marketing director or CEO or, or anybody that comes to us and they don't want to create something for the people that are buying from them, if they're not concerned with the impact that they have on the people mm. that are buying for them, um, they're not going to work well with us and they're not going to be a great brand. Mm. Um, the, the, especially with how um, social media and you and I were talking about this before we started, right? Yeah. Social media has changed everything and is, has created transparency where a lot of industries had opacity before, mm. right? A lot of companies were really opaque. I can pick up my phone and engage with Pepsi right now, right? Mm. Like that, that didn't exist 10 years ago. Correct. Um, and so I think that brands now are a challenge to think more about impact and, and because they're being checked, there's accountability in place. Correct. So um, I just posted this morning about this as well. Of, like People think that brand is some ethereal like spirit, you know, that nobody can touch. You can only feel, hmm. but brands that are really thinking about how do I measure my impact? How do I measure sentiment around hmm. my brand? Hmm. Can people remember me when they're talking about a problem they have in my space? Hmm. If they see my logo or my name, do they know what we stand for? The brands that think about business in that way are the ones that are tapping into emotions of people mm. in our lizard brain, right? The amygdala stuff that makes us make irrational decisions. Mm. The brands that are winning on that level and creating really meaningful connection mm. on the emotional level are the ones that stick, right? Okay. If you think about it, Coca-Cola is sugar water. Correct. Correct. That brand, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And yet, you know, uh, my next question is that brands are really living beings. You know, they need to be nurtured like babies throughout their life. Some brands like Coca-Cola may be 100 years old. Some die within a few years. My question is, how do brands stay relevant for a long period of time? Listen and adapt. Hmm. It's The world is adapting and changing. Hmm. And it goes with, I, we talk about like personal brands and corporate brand, like actual businesses. 
Mm-hmm. Brands that are corporate that deal with consumers have to be consistent on some level. Going back to my example of Coca-Cola, they've changed their logo very little. Yep. In the hundred plus years they've been around, it's very, very small incremental changes just to kind of adapt with the times. Brands that try to react and change completely based on what's going on in the world fail. Gap is a great example of this. Mm. They spent a lot of money to completely overhaul their brand. They didn't mm. talk to their customers. They didn't test. And they got a lot of pushback, right? And then what they did in response to that pushback is even worse. They changed mm. back. Mm. So they're not standing for anything. They're not leading away and saying, I know change is hard. Come with us. They're mm. going, oh, sorry, sorry. We didn't mean to upset you. And that doesn't build trust or loyalty, mm. right? So it's those types of things that I think are really important um, of listening to what your customers have to say, but also having a vision and making people feel like they're a part of that vision and bring them along. It's building that sense of community. Yeah, yeah. great response. Thank you. Uh, my next question is on, you know, as an agency, uh, you know, with working with so many brands, what is involved in nurturing a brand through its life cycle from the perspective of an advertising agency? Uh, it's measurement. I mean, the the stuff that no one really likes to talk about because it's not sexy is data. Um, and so for us, it's what is the goal for the brand? Sometimes mm. the goal for the brand is to be acquired and that's fine. Mm. We'll look at the valuation of that brand over time. Mm. Sometimes it's to, to grow exponentially. And then we're looking at um, opportunities to do brand collaborations to increase equity in those brand names mm. or maybe I want to raise my price point and we're looking at opportunities to do that as the brand mm. gets more so it always goes back to what the actual goal for the brand is. And a hint is it's not just to make more money, right? Mm-hmm. Like the goal of the brand, is, it has to be something um, but more finite than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always looking at what is the goal of the brand? What are the real problems that this brand solves for people out in the real world? Mm-hmm. And then measuring the impact of those over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can change, right? Um, the world change is changing exponential, exponentially faster than it was five, Correct. 10 years ago, Correct. right? So really it is um, looking at how do I listen and whether it's social media or doing NPS scoring or surveys or focus groups. And then how do we respond to that as a brand in a way that's not reactionary. And and how is technology beginning to change the way you are doing your work and how is technology changing branding? This is such a great question. I was thinking the other day, I don't know how, my forefathers in the agency business did it without email, without, I'm like, what were you, were you knocking on doors? Were you, how did you maintain your clients? But then I, I think on the flip side, clients had less options, right? Because it was just kind of whoever was in their backyard. Um, technology is changing our business every year. I mean, look at AI right now. We're doing, um, instead of, you know, paying my illustrator animation and yep. design to concept we're concepting in ai mm. and then what they pick then we then put to our design team mm. so the efficiencies of what we have in terms of what we're able to produce mm. is fantastic the playground that we have is great the challenge that it creates for our clients is that you know 50 years ago we had community already just within our daily lives and didn't crave it Technology has opened the entire world up to us as individuals. And so brands now have the challenge and opportunity to recreate communities, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so we no longer have the benefit of just, I know everybody at the grocery store, because this is just where I live. Most of us stay in our homes and have things brought to yeah. us and we don't have, we don't have to interact with humans yeah. anymore. So, mm-hmm. so technology has impacted our work, you know, 
whether it's client or how we work individually um, as a team, you know, we're hundred percent remote. My mm. director of ops is in Portland, Oregon, and I'm in Baltimore uh, and we work really well four days a week because mm. we have these tools. They, be, they become our operating system. Correct. Correct. But you know, you, 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 you mentioned, you don't know how people used to do it in, in, in the <laughs> earlier days. I'll, I'll share with you, you know, I was very young and I'm talking of four decades ago, the big agencies used to come for, you know, India Tobacco's advert, advertising strategy, et cetera. And there used to be this massive flip charts, which used to be rolled, handwritten, put onto a board, and then flipped one after another. And I, you're absolutely right. I don't know how we did it then, but it seems to have worked then also. So, but moving on, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you that, you know, with, with the change in the platforms that are now available, uh, in you know, in, in all the digital formats, how are traditional formats like print and television adapting themselves? Depends on the brand. Some not at all. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're seeing more is that where television or a full page print ad was the marketing strategy Correct. is now part of a larger integrated campaign, right? There's still a place for print. There's still... Uh, an emotional reaction you get just from the tactile feeling of the right. paper that was chosen and the colors, right? Or when you open your magazine and you see that beautiful spread. And we still do a lot of that work. Um, it needs to be part of a larger strategy. So we're seeing, you know, QR codes and TV commercials. We're seeing calls to action that drive you to digital formats. We're seeing, um, you know, opportunities to do things out of home that are integrated into a larger experience, even with geofencing, right? We can place billboards in areas that we're geotargeting people mm -hmm. um, and give them uh, richer experiences that are more educational versus that's the billboard buy or don't buy, mm -hmm. right? We used to call mm -hmm. the old spray and pray technique yeah. of just hoping the right people see it, mm -hmm. that we can use it as part of a larger strategy. So, mm -hmm. you know, we had so much content going around a few years ago about how print is dead and no, it's not. I and mean, we, a lot of us still love to hold books. A lot of, I still read my Baltimore business journal at the table. I still get the New Yorker print. You know, I like to read them and I, I'm not alone in that. And, you know, the, it, I'll go back to metrics. It all comes back to the data. People are mm -hmm. still buying from direct mail. They're still buying from out of home. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean use it as a tactic. It means mm -hmm. if it makes sense within your integrated marketing mix, try mm -hmm. it. Test mm -hmm. it. See if it works. Mm -hmm. Well said. And yet the communication landscape is changing dramatically for brands. You know, everything now is your little on your little handheld device. How is this? forcing brands to adapt to a much, much smaller and a much faster format? For us, it's made it a little bit easier mm -hmm. because we, you know, I kind of was raised up an agency in the thought leadership white paper era, mm -hmm. which was, you know, everything was over strategized. Everything was a huge lift. And right now, low production quality wins. It's mm -hmm. almost the worse the video quality, the better the performance, right? Mm -hmm. the, talked earlier about just the ability to pick up your phone and have access to just about anybody uh you know and the the shorter format makes it a lower barrier to entry hmm. i love it because we've seen the rise of so many smaller businesses hmm. winning music artists out of their home during the pandemic winning hmm. that did not have a platform five hmm. ten years ago um so the the brands that are adapting are taking all this rich content mine what's performed high 
whether it's a thought leadership piece or a 15 minute video, and then how can we take that content and repurpose it in TikTok? Mm -hmm. How can we repurpose multiple formats of content into things that are bite-sized mm -hmm. um, and still drive people to the larger content format yeah. so mm -hmm. that you can see it. But to me, it's opened up for us at Backroom, it's opened up the opportunity to create more content formats that don't have to be so polished. The grammar doesn't have to be perfect in these formats. They're very mm. raw, they're human, they're almost voyeuristic, right? Because they're very vulnerable and just how you are in that moment. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I really think that like the more we've had this exposure to technology over humans, we ironically are craving human interaction more. So the more real and unpolished the content is, the better it performs. Correct. Well said. And yet, you know, there are there's there's so many social media platforms which are giving opportunities for brands to be able to showcase themselves. How does a company determine which is the right platform for them? Data, <laughs> data and testing. So mm -hmm. for us, we always start with what we call our ideal customer profile. Most people are familiar with this. Mm -hmm. And it's not, here's Nancy, she's 50 and has three kids. It's not mm -hmm. useful to what are Nancy's problems? What is she stressed out about? How do our how can our potential how can our brand or our services potentially help her with that problem? Um, and then where's she getting information? We do like a think, feeling, doing matrix. Um, you know, thinking like what questions does she have? Feeling is she anxious, stressed, excited? And then what is she doing? Is she talking to her friends? Is she in forums? Is she doing absolutely nothing? And we have to seek her out. Mm -hmm. And that gives on the platform right mm -hmm. and you can get a lot of demographic information right from these platforms to see who's there yeah but it's really the 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 metric of success is whether or not your message is resonating mm -hmm. whether you're giving it action if you're changing a human behavior based on the things that you're doing mm -hmm. so a lot of folks will go oh my gosh well tiktok's hot we have to be on tiktok now right or we have to be on instagram we have to be doing these things but if you don't know what you're looking for to see if it's working you're just trying to do everything and Career. maybe you're not getting impact. So it's right. have a plan, treat it like a science experiment. What am I going to measure? And mm. if it doesn't work, what's next? If it does work, you lean into it. That's it. And when, you know, again, when I'm talking about many, many years ago, there would be either a movie star or a sports star or some, you know, senior, well-recognized individual who would be associated with a brand. And now we've got this new breed of influencers and micro-influencers. I'd love to get your perspective on how are influencers impacting brands? I think they have a similar effect to what you just described about that social proof of seeing an endorsement from someone they trust. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing with influencers is we know it's an ad, right? It's got a hashtag. There's some mm -hmm. paid partnership label. Correct. But I find that the most impactful thing about an influencer marketing strategy is that consumers get to see a product in context of how it would be used. Mm. And I think that that's something that's missing for a lot of brands when they market is they'll show a product with like, you know, really beautiful lifestyle branding. And there's a great place for that, right? We mm. love the pop. But to be able to show it in the context of someone's home and how they use it, I think is what brings that realness to it. It brings the, I see a little bit of myself in this post mm -hmm. and then it brings people into that community. Um, a lot of us are looking for something to follow. A lot of us are looking for someone to kind of show us whether it's how do I design my home or how do I feed my dog? Um, and to be able to buy into something that feels like a community, that's mm -hmm. what influencers are providing. Um, I think a really smart influencer strategy is one that brings an influencer and a brand together where that influencer would already be using that product, would already mm -hmm. endorse it, 
Mm. And then just amplifying it. People can see if it's fake. If it doesn't make sense to them or if it doesn't fit within that influencer's brand, yeah. uh, then you're not acting either, right? If it's a product that you really are excited about, then you're actually showing it in that context as well as, you know, getting paid for the placement. Well said. So I have time for two more questions, Kara. And next question is on the metaverse. This seems to have you know, presented some incredible opportunities and big brands like Nike, et cetera, seem to be acquiring huge real estate for their brands on the in the metaverse. I'd love to get your perspective on how should brands react to the metaverse? This question is a little difficult for me because we haven't explored much in metaverse because okay. from our perspective, it's not real. Um, we have social platforms, we have digital platforms. I think that a lot of times um, the tech industry likes to brand things as though they're the next big thing when it's really more of the same. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a little bit of a trend that we're not subscribing to Fair at enough. the moment. Okay. Um, so that's one that I, I don't know that I can really I speak. understand. Fair enough. We'll pass this. <laughs> uh, and my last question to you, Kara, and this is for the thousands of people who will listen to our conversation. Based on your deep understanding of branding, what would you say are three lessons you would want a lot of our young viewers and listeners to take away? And a lot of them are startup, uh, startup entrepreneurs. What should they be doing with for their brands? I think number one is trust your gut. Mm -hmm. because a lot of things, a lot of times we get really bogged down, especially when you have investment, you start yeah. getting really numbers focused, which is great. You want to make money but there's a reason you started this. And a lot of the startup founders that we work with that are successful, it's because they created this product because they wanted it and they see something in it. The second piece is don't underestimate product market fit. Mm. This is going to sound a little contrary to what I just said, but just because you're excited about it doesn't mean anyone's going to buy it. Yeah. yeah. And this, this is something you can test on small levels, right? You can spend $500 to take out an ad on LinkedIn or Instagram for a mm. survey, right? And incentivize it with a gift card to ask mm. people, is this something that you would purchase? You can do focus groups, talk to your friends, right? There are ways to test this in small mm. scale. Um, be receptive mm. to the feedback you get is my third. I had coffee with a friend the other day and we were talking about a startup founder he'd worked with for a while that I also knew. Mm. And he wasn't successful because he would do customer surveys, but he mm. would only talk to the customers he knew were really excited. <laughs> okay. So you yeah. have to be able to put your ego aside and take mm. the feedback because if you focus on winning, if you focus on making the brand win, it's not about you. Mm. Well said, well said. And on that note and your three wonderful lessons, trust your gut, don't underestimate the product market fit. And the third one, be receptive to feedback. Thank you, Kara, for speaking to me about your incredible journey, uh, all the things that you've done before you started your own company, Backroom. Thank you for talking to me at such length about branding, communication, and advertising. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You videocast and podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.